All right, so we're, we're in a series called uh, Unchained. That's what we're doing. This is just a short series. It's only going to be for the next few weeks. Um, we'll get back into some books of the Bible um, as we, after we get through this. But uh, Unchained, the, the, the premise behind this series is, is to help all of us grow more and more in our understanding of sin and our victory in Jesus over sin. Uh, we're, we're sinners, right? We're, we, we need Jesus' help to grow and to be more and more like him. And I think one of the biggest things that Christians wrestle with and struggle with is how do I see more progress over my sinful inclinations? How do I go towards Jesus more consistently? Um, I am certain that if you're honest and if I'm honest, we have thought things today, even in this building, we're, we're not pure, right? We thought things that are sinful. We've done things that are sinful. We need Jesus to help us. And, and so we want to help you get there through the scriptures because the scriptures give us everything we need. Um, we don't have a lot of tips and tricks for you to do. Uh, I simply want to take you to Jesus because that's where our hope is. And, and that's, that's the only way we're really going to see progress is as we draw nearer and nearer to him. So last week we started this, and I know a lot of you weren't here last week because it was like minus 20 or something crazy, and that's okay. Right? So let me, let me just do the, the brief flyover of what we talked about last, uh, week, last week so you're on the same page. Um, we basically just did a quick survey of the first seven chapters in the book of Romans um, so that we can prepare ourselves for Romans 8, which I believe is, is the greatest treasure trove in the scriptures for this topic that we're dealing with. Um, I think it's one of the clearest teachings that we have. And so to understand Romans chapter 8, we needed to understand where Paul was going with his argument in the first seven chapters. And just to, we basically said there were three things, three main points that Paul makes through those seven chapters. Uh, chapters one through three lays out the case that we are actually all sinful and that everything we do without the grace of God is sinful. We are inherently sinful people. We do things that are uh, not of God. We're hostile to God. We're against him. We ignore him. We see that sin is everywhere within us and everywhere around us. We live in a broken world. That's where Paul takes us right out of the gate in this book. And that's important because that's our primary problem, right? That's our problem. We need to, to deal with that. And then Paul goes from there into helping us understand how God deals with that. And by, he did that by sending Jesus into the world. So Romans 4 through 6 um, there's a lot in those chapters, of course, and we can't talk about every detail, but the overarching point is that Jesus came into our world, lived a perfect life in the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. That was what chapter four is primarily about. And as you get into chapter five and six, you see that Jesus is the sacrificial uh, lamb that God sent into the world to deal with our sin, to take our sin upon himself and to give us a new life. But then we also see in chapter 7 a third point, which is not just, okay, you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins, but now we're actually seeing in chapter 7 that we're still sinners. 
We, we are saved by grace. We do stand right with God, but we still struggle with the lingering, ongoing issues of sin. That's where Paul takes us. And so it's right out of that that we need to really find hope, right? Because if, if, I'm, if I'm a sinner, even if Jesus forgives me of my sins, and I'm, but I'm still struggling with sin, where, where's the hope in this? Am I always going to be this? Am I always going to be like this? Am I always going to have this problem? And, and the answer is a little complicated. It's both yes and no, right? Yes, while you're here, you're going to struggle with sin, but it's not your ultimate future. And so as we get into chapter 8, we started, we ended last week rather with just the first couple verses of chapter 8. These verses give us incredible hope and the whole chapter gives us incredible help in our battle with this sinful nature that we have. So as, as we go through the next few weeks, we're going to just take this chapter little by little, um, bit by bit, and look at different angles and different perspectives from, from this chapter on how we can grow in this. So let's look. Uh, today we're going to look at the first 11 verses of the chapter of chapter 8. But let's just start back in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Because this, we're going to, so if you were here last week, this is going to be a little bit of a recap, but I think we need to cover it again. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is a really fundamental thing that helps us, propels us towards Jesus. He's reminding us here of our position in Christ. So it's, it's important that we see it in its context because chapter 7, Paul is laying out this case for how we have this problem of sin that still lingers in us even as we trust in him. And, and if we just ended with chapter 7, we would all be just like completely depressed all the time. Like where is the hope in this? Where, where is this for us? Paul writes in verse 24 of back in chapter 7, what a wretched man I am who will rescue, rescue me from this body of death. And then as you get into chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is, this is actually very counterintuitive to, what, to how we would think, right? Because in our minds... We're thinking, if I'm messed up, if I'm doing wrong things, I should be condemned for that. Or I should have some punishment for that. Or there should be some consequences to that. But what Paul's telling us here is that even though that's true, the grace of God through Jesus Christ covers us so that we don't stand under condemnation. We don't stand in a place of judgment Even though we're still sinners, we are actually right before God. And and Paul goes on in verse 2 and 3 to explain how this can be true. Look at verse 2. It says, Because, so there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. The reason that you and I can be sinners and not be condemned in that sin is because the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is the best news in the world. That we are sinners, yes, but we are not condemned in that sin because we have been unchained from that sin. We've been set free. We've We've been released into freedom through the Holy Spirit's power by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse three. He explains even further how this happens. He says, what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, by the flesh he means the, the, our sinful inclinations. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, catch this, God did. That is, that's the most significant thing I think we're going to see today. That the, there was a law, if you remember your Old Testament, right? So if you, we're in a new year, we're only a couple months into a new year, you may have been ambitious and decided to start a Bible reading plan. By this point in the year, you're probably getting close to like Deuteronomy, Leviticus, these books. Uh, and that's where we all stop reading the Bible. <laughs> like we get there, like we have, oh, I'm going to read the Bible this year. And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, nope, I'm good. I'm, I can't, can't do it, right? Because there's just so many rules, so many regulations, so many laws. And it's like, oh my, oh my goodness, I can't do this. Okay, so why is that the case? Well, because God is holy and he wants his people to understand the weight of his perfection, the weight of his holiness. And what he's saying is through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all those books and, and even into Exodus, after the exciting stuff in Exodus, it gets into like the Ten Commandments and all that. You read these things and you're going, why are there so many rules? Why are there so many expectations? What is going on? Well, it shows us God's holiness. It shows us God's perfection. And, and ultimately, it's meant to show us that we cannot do it. So when you read Leviticus or when you read the end of Exodus and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't keep plowing through. What you got to keep in mind is this is not on me to do. It's not. Because what God says here is that the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did it for us. Jesus Christ fulfills the law for you. That, if, you don't, if you don't understand that, you don't understand the whole story of the Bible. Christians are not called to be under the law because Christ put himself under the law for us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh. How? By sending his own son into the likeness of sinful flesh. So God becomes a man and lives a human life. And he does this as a sin offering. So again, you get to Leviticus and you're reading all these things about Okay, if you do this, you got to kill this animal. You do this, you got to kill that animal. And it's just like, oh my word, right? It's a very bloody book. But the reason that that's the case is because it's preparing for the fact that, well, it it shows us the fact that sin requires 
something to die, ultimately us, but that God loves us too much to let us die in our sin. So he, he created a kind of a system, a sacrificial system where a lamb would die instead of us. But when Jesus comes into the world, he lives this life, this human life, and then he himself goes to a cross and dies a bloody death in the place of sinners. And he does this, verse 4, look, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The reason that Christ came into the world was to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came into the world to set us free from sin and he did that, he accomplished that by living a perfect life. Jesus Christ put himself under the law and actually stood under the weight of it. And he did that to condemn sin in his perfection. And that really is what Romans, uh, excuse me, Matthew 4, if you, we don't have to turn there, but there's a, there's a, passage in Matthew 4 where Jesus, he's baptized in chapter 3 um, and then God speaks from heaven, the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him and then it says he immediately went into the wilderness for, to fast for 40 days and 40 nights and then at the end of that 40 day fast, he uh, is confronted by three temptations from the devil And in each of those cases, he withstands the temptation. He does not succumb like we would, right? Adam and Eve lived in a perfect garden with no problems and they they failed the test. Jesus comes into, so there's there's a huge contrast here, right? Adam and Eve in a garden with all their needs supplied for them failed the test and they succumbed to one temptation. Jesus is in a wilderness, in a desert, the exact opposite of a garden, with no food, no provision for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's put under three temptations and withstands all of them perfectly. That passage is not to teach us what we should do, although there's probably some lessons to be learned on how we can combat temptation from his example, but that's not primarily the point. Primarily the point is that Jesus was a perfectly sinless man, even under the most rigorous of conditions, where all of us would have called it in. Every one of us would have succumbed. He did not. And so the point of where our hope should, should point us, rather, is not in ourselves to be able to muster the strength to not be sinners. That's not our hope. The hope we have is not in ourselves somehow becoming less and less sinful. Our hope is in being united to the one who was sinless. That's where our hope is. We have to be united to him. So catch this, the law could not do for us because it was weakened by the flesh what it was meant to do. So God did it for us by sending Jesus in the, in the form of sinful flesh. He wasn't a sinner, but he took on a human body and lived a life like you and me, but he did it perfectly. So catch this. 
because Jesus lived a perfect life, all the requirements of God's law are fulfilled. What, what does Paul say? They're fulfilled in who? In us. What? So Jesus did all the work and we get all the benefit? We call that up here a heck of a deal. That's a heck of a deal. I mean, seriously, that's, that's ridiculous. But this is how much God loves us. Look, that's what verse 4 says. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who walk according to the who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, he's speaking here about people who have put their trust and hope in this man, Jesus. In this God-man, Jesus. If we put our hope in him, we, we, are, we are actually the beneficiaries of his work. And that's why there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because he's done all that for us. He did what the law could never do. Uh, I was down in uh, Chicago this past week doing an assessment conference for the Acts 29 network. So what that means is we have couples, married couples come, uh, and we look at, we interview them, we look at their lives, we see if they'd be a good fit with Acts 29, you know, and all that. But as I was down there, I was talking to one of my friends who who shared something. I'm not on, I'm not on social media anymore. You guys all know that I've barked up that tree for a long time. But, but he was sharing that he saw on Twitter uh, recently that someone, I'm not sure, he didn't say who it was, but someone posted a, a thought and said, man, wouldn't it be great if we could take all of the debt of the whole world and put it on one guy and we just publicly execute him so that everybody has no more debt? And then this pastor jumps on right after that and says, boy, do I have some good news for you. <laughs> that's just great. I mean, that's, that, that's gold. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. All the debt of all the world against God, God put on Jesus. Publicly killed him so that he would be the the one to absorb all of that punishment. And this, you guys, is foundationally where we begin to find growth in Christ. We unite ourselves to him. We, we latch ourselves on and we hold on for dear life to this man who lived a perfect life. That's where we put, we put all of our eggs in that basket. That's where all of our hope is. We cannot do this in our own strength, because we have no strength in ourselves to do it. Your growth in Christ can never be your just pure grit and determination, because you will always fail yourself, and you will always fail God, more importantly. But Jesus did what you could never do. That's incredible. That is a heck of a deal. Let's keep going here, because Paul gives us more to chew on. The first thing he's talking about, well, really the the foundational issue he's bringing out in this chapter is answering the question, how do we actually uh, see freedom from sin, right? That's really what he's, he's he's answering that how. And so the first way that he answers that is that we're, we're not under sin anymore. We're not chained to it anymore because Jesus has set us free through his own perfect life and death and resurrection. But let's keep going. Let's look at verse 5 through 10. 
Here's the second thing Paul's going to draw us to. He says, For those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. We are unable to submit to God's law as we're walking in the power of our sinful nature. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is like really discouraging if you're trying to live, live in the power of your own strength. If you're trying to make God happy with you by your own obedience, by your own goodness, by your own attempts, I've got bad news for you. You can't. You can't please him through your, through your activities and your, even your white knuckling of, of life. You cannot please him in your own strength and, in the, and as you walk in your sinful nature. Now let, let's look at the hope here, verse 9 and 10. You, however, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. You may not feel like you're living in in the Spirit, but because Christ is in you, you are. That's actually who you are. That is your identity. Paul says you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Um, So here's, here's, I think, fundamentally what we're seeing. Paul doesn't use this terminology here. He does use it elsewhere in the scriptures, but I think the the point he's making is the same. Um, Here's where our hope is found. It's not in our ability to please God in our flesh, but in the reality that God through Christ has given us a new life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, which we just, we saw it like months ago because it was back in chapter five, but he says that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. He says in Colossians chapter 3, I believe, that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Here, Paul says that that we we can be in one of two states. We can be outside of Christ and be in the flesh and have our mindset against him if we're not believers in Jesus or we can be in Christ and and actually have a whole new life where our heart's desires are fundamentally changed by his grace. Our sinful mindset is hostile to God. It's against him 
Our sinful mindset is unable to do what God requires, but he's given us a new heart, a new life, and, and he has turned this, this heart of stone. He says in Jeremiah, he's going to give us, take a heart of stone that we have in, our, in ourselves and give us a heart that beats and lives for him. He does this as we come to him, as we turn to him for grace. We are given a whole new life. The, the fancy theological word for that is we've been regenerated in Christ. We have been given regeneration. Our whole lives have been made new. And so... Paul's point here is that if you're in Christ, you're not in the flesh anymore. That's not your identity. Yeah, you still struggle with sin, so do I, right? But that's not fundamentally our identity. So what this means is that we can actually choose by God's grace to obey him and do what he wants us to do, not because we have the power to do that in ourselves, but because Christ has enabled us with a new nature to be able to say yes to him and no to sin. And I'm not saying that that's easy. And I'm not going to tell you for one second that I do that every single time. You all know I'm pretty open about this. I'm a sinner. I say things I shouldn't say. Some of you know that because I've said it to you. <laughs> I've done things I shouldn't done and I, and I do them more than I want to admit. I get it. We're, we're not always walking in a way that honors Christ. But the point is, is that we have the ability to do so if we can get our heads out of the sand and see Jesus. I was going to say something else. Um, uh, if we can get our heads out of the sand, thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, uh, right? If we, can just, if we can just look to Jesus, that's what we need. We need his help. But here's ultimately where I think in this, at least in this passage, we're going to see where that help really comes from. Look at verse 11. I love this. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. We have no condemnation if we're in Jesus because he has taken that condemnation. We have been given a new life so that our mindsets are changed. And we have, this is the best, we have God himself making his home in us. We should never feel helpless against our sin. I know we do sometimes, but that's, that's really a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. Satan wants us to believe that we are helpless and hopeless. He wants to condemn us. His, his name, the word Satan isn't a name, it's a title. And I said this last week, I think, but it, it means accuser. It's not his name, it's his title, it's his job to accuse. It's the job he gave himself, by the way. It's not like he wasn't given that by God, but that's where we're at, right? And he's the accuser. 
And so he's going to tell you, you can't do anything about this. You can't change. You can't grow. You can't even say no to this temptation because you're just so pathetic. But what, God, what Paul reminds us here is this, that we have the very spirit of God who, who rose Jesus Christ from the dead living in us. He says it twice in this verse that he's in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. So we have him making his home in our lives, which empowers us to live in the way that he would call us to. It doesn't mean we always do that, but we have no excuses in, the, in a sense. If we're believers, we can turn to the very God who dwells in us for help. And actually, that's where we're going to go next time in verse 12 through 17. That's where, that's where Paul's going to take us. He's going to take us to the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. So we're not, we've only scratched the surface of what it means to be freed from sin. But it's the, this is the foundation of what it means to be freed from sin. That Christ has taken our sin upon himself. He bore the weight of the law, lived under it perfectly, died in the place of sinners so that we wouldn't have to suffer its condemnation. And then he gives us a new life in him. And then he empowers us by the spirit of God living in us. And this is where we're going to have to put the pause button on and look at more on this in the weeks to come. But here's the thing. I just want to leave you with this because this is going to be a progressive kind of like we're adding more blocks onto the tower every week. We're not going to have it all in front of us all at once. But here's what we can do as we conclude this. The battle for sin, the battle, excuse me, for victory over sin is what I meant to say, starts with understanding our position in Christ is not condemned. Satan cannot condemn you. He has no power over you if the Spirit of God lives in you. And that God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Think of that. When you are in a moment of temptation to sin, to step into something that, you're, that you know in your conscience is wrong, you can say, God literally did what I could not do. And he did it for me. We can tell ourselves these things. We need to preach these things to ourselves. The the life of Jesus is actually in us through the Holy Spirit so we can set our minds and our hearts on him. But here's what I want you to understand. I think this is clear from the text. Our victory over sin will never ever happen in our own power. It will never happen as long as we're trying to do this in our own strength. And I think that's honestly why I and you stumble so often into these, into these sinful things is because we're trusting in ourselves. And I'll speak for myself. This is totally what, where I'm at. That I want to put, I want to do this myself instead of begging Jesus for help. I'd just rather, you know, go, ah, I'll handle it. It's fine. But when we do that, when we, when we fall into a state of spiritual amnesia about what Jesus has done for us and we forget our position in him and we forget who, who he is and what he's done for us and then we lean into our, our own sinful inclinations to get us out of sinful inclinations, which is, that's a brilliant idea, right? We, we do this all the time. We need to be reminded of what the scriptures say right here. 
that we cannot do it. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot please God. It, we cannot, like the word cannot means cannot. There's no, there's no middle ground there. But here's the good news for all of us. What we cannot do, Jesus did. Jesus did for you. We can rest in that. We don't throw up our hands and say, well, let's just go on sinning then, right? Because Paul in this same book says, do we let grace allow us to just give up? No, we don't. We continue pressing in. We continue going deeper. But what we cannot do, God did do and can do in us. We got to lean into that. I said at the beginning of this whole thing, there are no tips or tricks. There's no magic thing that we can pull off to make this happen. We, we just need to dig deeply into Jesus Christ. We need to hold on for dear life. And we need to trust him to do in us what we can never do for ourselves. There is hope in that. The, the, the hard part is actually believing that. And the hard part is actually saying, you know what? I can let go of, of my attempts because, because I'm, I'm failing at it. That's the hard part. It really is. Like to say, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do this? Yeah, you don't. But that's, that's hard. <laughs> like how do we get there? Well, that's where we're going to go next week and, and moving forward. But let me pray for us for now and we'll, we'll, we'll ask the Lord for his help this morning. Uh, Jesus, we thank you. You've been grateful. You've been gracious to us beyond anything we deserve. Lord, we've been confronted with a reality today that we cannot help ourselves. And and that is incredibly hard for us to hear because we want to help ourselves. But would you help us, Jesus, in this moment to rest in the finished work that you've accomplished by your perfect life and your substitutionary death, the death in our place, and that you rose again from the dead, that you conquered all of these, these sinful things in us. Lord, we, we just need your help. We got to come to you and ask, would you give each of us this week a little bit more growth and progress and maturity? We can't, we can't manufacture that, Lord, so we come to you for help. And we pray that we would rest in what you've done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.